that we can listen back later. I'm going to pray for Arthur before he speaks. Father God, I pray for Arthur now as he speaks your word this morning. Lord, give him power of the Holy Spirit to speak your word and give us ears to listen for what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Arthur, over to you. Thank you, Sam. It's lovely to be in the hall again. Uh, last time I spoke, it was from home, and you can't really do much at home. You just sit there and let it come. But in the hall, we can wave our hands about a bit. <laughs> um, right. Now, I haven't taken my mask off because I have to take my hearing aids off, my glass out, my glasses off, and everything. So you'll excuse me for having it just here. It's not a religious collar, I'll tell you that. <laughs> right, now the first thing that is going to happen is Claudia is going to read something to us. Good morning. I have the benefit of uh, not having hearing aids, so I can take my mask off. Okay. Right, Arthur's asked me to... Uh, to read this to you. It's from the uh, Christianity magazine, okay? And uh, the title is A New Way to Worship. Right. Last Sunday morning, Kay and I attended our local parish church. The priest was glorious in cassock and incongruous face visor. The voice steady as he led us through the Book of Common Prayer communion service. But there was just one problem. The order of service called for four hymns, yet singing was still forbidden. And so we just had to sit there and listen to the songs played through a boom box. Parked in a pew immediately behind me sat Janet. Losing her husband to cancer just a few months ago, she hadn't really much to make a song and dance about lately. After nursing him through his long illness, she is now alone in the big house. Suddenly, I noticed that Janet had found a way to worship in song without singing. Janet hummed. As each song was played, she hummed along, obeying the rules with lips tightly shut, but still making melody. As I sat back and listened, I was reminded of a vital truth about worship. Sometimes we shout to the Lord joyfully and triumphant. There are times when worship is exciting and emotional as victory is affirmed and amazing grace is celebrated. But there are seasons when all I can raise is a hum, when rather than certainty and confidence, Faithfulness is all I have to offer. Frankly, I'm in one of those seasons right now, but Janet's example nudged me into hope and rescued me from the shame that I often experience when what I sing doesn't always match up what I feel or experience. When life is more about shadows than sunshine,
And a heartfelt song eludes me. I want to resist the murmur of complaint and choose to hum instead. If you're in one of those days or even one of those years, you might like to hum along too. Thank you. I thought that was rather moving. You know, we've all sat in silence for quite a long time and just a woman humming is moves somebody to think what worship is. Right, let me just make a point first and I'll finish with this as well. But I'll make the point now. Is singing the central goal of what we define as worship? Let's look at the big picture of that. There were Pharisees who were coming in this chapter to look at Jesus and see what was happening with him. He'd fed 5,000 people. He'd heal people, and naturally, they were worried. Was this the Messiah? Was it of God, or was he some kind of false impersonator of what they thought was religion? The Pharisees, in fact, were God's servants at the time. The problem was they were not acting like servants instead they did these things to look holy they did and quite a number of things like they washed their themselves all over they washed all their instruments of cooking and so on to look holy rather it was tradition with them they'd taken god's word and added to it from the law and from the old testament so they were doing things to basically make themselves clean. And Jesus actually calls them hypocrites. Now, he, they come along and they find the disciples and Jesus sitting and not washing their hands to eat. Now, I don't know how many of us actually, when we're have, having a meal, go and wash our hands. I know people who send their children, but do we? <laughs> Think about it. You might do, and I apologize if you do. Now, when they came along, they seen the meeting and not having their hands washed. Were they wrong? Think about it. Were they wrong? No, they weren't. It's quite right to wash your hands why because it takes germs away and we don't want germs in our hands when we're eating but they were wrong because they didn't know about germs germs were not known so it wasn't because of germs they were washing their hands it was because of a ritual so the right answer is yes they were wrong but the Technically, they were right. 
<laughs> when I was in the Royal Hospital, getting people to look at things, they had a notice up, and I think it's around in many places. It said, wash your hands and kill germs. And that's really been emphasized over the last year or so because of what we've been through. So, you know, again, it's an emphasis on something and Jesus and the disciples appear to be doing the wrong thing. <clears throat> the, the Pharisees were following what they thought was right. And it was actually called baptizo. It was their form of baptism. They were cleansing themselves of defilement caused by association with people and things. The Christian way is baptism. And baptism for our own sins and what has gone wrong with us and inside. So Jesus tells them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God to observe your traditions or your false way of worshipping. The Pharisees had hundreds of their own rules. They'd added to God's laws. They tried to force people to follow them. Now, I don't know if you would follow that. Would you wash all your basins and things? Quite possible you would after you'd eaten. That wasn't a bad one, but they were making it out to be a holy thing. And Jesus tells them in verse 6, and Isaiah 29, 13, The Lord said, because these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is human commandments learned by rote. So, worship was not right. Their type of worship was not right. Their worship had become a routine and not with their hearts. They were doing something that they just felt was right. Worship in the Old Testament, the word for worship is often translated bowing. Abraham tells Isaac they're going away to worship now they were taking he was taking isaac to be sacrificed and he called it worship they were going to worship because that was the command he had heard if you look at genesis 22 5 Then Abraham said to, the, to his young man, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. 
we will worship and then we will come back to you. So it's quite obvious that Abraham believed what he was doing was worship. It didn't involve singing, it didn't involve anything, but the way he was going to perform to worship God with his son. I'll just tell you a couple of modern things that I have noted with friends and just listen to tradition in this. Claudia and I were in London in the late 60s. Billy, we'd gone to see Billy Graham on the Saturday. Actually, we would have liked to be there on the Sunday because it was the time, it was the day that Cliff Richard gave his first public testimony. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we missed it because we went on the Saturday. And on the Sunday, we asked, we were staying with my aunt and uncle, where can we go to worship? And they were Roman Catholics, so they only knew the Roman Catholic Church, but they said, we think there's what a, a church just down the road you might like. So we set off to this church, arrived there, and there was a woman setting out communion. And we thought, oh, lovely, great. And then she said to us, where are you from? We said, we've come down from Liverpool. And we'd like to join you for your worship. And she said, have you brought a letter of approval from your elders? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> that didn't uh, quite hit the right note, did it? We thought, well, well, well one of the friends that was with us uh, belonged, it was a brethren church, belonged to the brethren church. And he knew what was happening. He, he didn't belong at that time, but he had belonged. And he knew what the lady was saying. And he, he stood up and he apologized and said, no, we, we can't do that. We haven't got a letter. We'll leave you to worship. And we went out and we felt rather down. <laughs> and we didn't know quite what to do with ourselves. Should we just jump in the car and go back up to Liverpool or what? Anyway, I can't remember how we did it. But there was a Baptist church we found and we went in and you know what? We never received a better welcome. They were really alive. And funny enough, there'd been a chap in Liverpool who we had in our own church who had been to their church and he had brought blessing to them as he brought blessing to us in Liverpool. And we just had a wonderful time with them. They didn't have a tradition of asking you, have you got a letter? They just enjoyed it. Now, on to another episode. I had a friend who was an elder in a Baptist church, a very traditional Baptist church, where they all wore suits to go to church, like rather like many churches you can go to. Not quite much too much today, but they all wore suits and ties and shirts. And I worked with this man and we were talking and he said, you know what? My daughter came in the other day to our service and she brought her boyfriend and he was wearing jeans. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> 
Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> oh, he was wearing jeans and she, I went up and I said to her, you can't bring him in here like that. Oh dear, that's terrible, isn't it? Their tradition only allowed people really to come in with suits. Now you think of it. If a chap came in here with a suit, we'd probably say, go back and get your jeans on. <laughs> you know, it, it's something that just makes you, oh, doesn't it? These people make laws of their own and make it tradition and something that they stick to very rigidly. And that's in today's world, those. These people were doing what Jesus said in verse 8. You let go of the commands of God and you're holding to the traditions of man. Now, that's a hard thing to say to Pharisees because they were very rigid in what they believed. Now, Jesus then talks to the crowd and he tells them, about making laws outside of God's laws. And Jesus said, it's what's inside and comes out of us that matters. Now, isn't that true? You know, it's what's in our heart and comes out that matters. We don't have any right to criticize the Pharisees for their love of traditions when we can hold so many of our own. All of us maybe are guilty of tradition. Jesus talked with the Pharisees. He didn't send them away, he talked with them. They were God's representatives to the people and they were in fact God's servants. Now, whether they acted out as God's servants the problem was they were not acting like servants. Instead, they acted as if they were God. Jesus rightly takes the exceptions to this. Jesus also knew what their hearts were. He knew what was in the Pharisees' hearts. And of course, he also knows what's in our hearts. Oops. Sorry. We can look at things, we've made traditions in our own church. Even in worship, we do the same thing each week. Not wrong, but we get used to it and it loses its meaning. Can we change that? Can we change our hearts to make the worship be meaningful to us? Verse 18 and 19 in this says, do not worry about what's in our diet more than what's in our heart and mind. Now the Jews interpreted dietary laws in the Old Testament. They could, they believed they could be clean before God. But God changed this. He did a wonderful thing for us in Acts 10 and 9.
Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The boy spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. It's good to read the whole chapter out there where God makes it clear that we're free to eat. We're free from all the law to eat what we feel is right. We have a God who thinks of everything. He released us from those laws which hold you in prison. The question is, do we worship with just singing or with our whole lives? You know, worship is not just Sunday morning. As we've heard earlier in the service, it's our whole lives when we go out there, wherever we are, we have a heart that's worshiping God. And I'd like to finish with Claudia reading a prayer a traditional prayer, a Celtic one, a Celtic one, that has come through from the first millennium. It's come right through. It's a beautiful prayer. Celtic oral tradition, the first millennium. You are peace of all things calm. You are place to hide from harm. You, the light that shines in the dark. You are the eternal spark. You are the door that opens wide. You are the quest who waits inside. You are calling you are the calling of the poor. You are my Lord and with me from all. You are the light of truth, the way. You are my savior this very day. Amen. That's come right through the ages. And it just proves that something Maybe you call traditional, but it touches the heart of God, and that's a good tradition. Amen. <laughs>